All right, well, it's good to be with y'all this morning. I'm sure you're all feeling some degree of ease. Danielle, I know you're way over there in Cardiff, but I'm sure you're probably aware that we are happy in America right now with our election outcome, and I suspect that you probably are too. Um, so it's a good thing, I believe. Um, so I want to just, I don't want to talk about that too much. I don't really have anything prepared today, but I do want to just kind of point to uh, the most basic thing that we've all heard a million times and probably aren't very good at. And that's just the reality of impermanence and the, the reality of change and the mind's tenacious tendency to want to pin things down. The, um, you know, this is one of the things that we kind of learn. You know, we learn about impermanence probably at every first Dharma class you've ever been to or any book on Buddhism we ever pick up. We always, you know, come in contact with impermanence. And it's interesting to me how much of an assumption we make that we sort of got that. You know, I mean, we could go, we could go to Times Square right now and interview 100 people and ask them if things change. And probably 98 or 99 percent of them would say, yeah, things change. But I think this is a really interesting place where we can see that we can totally understand something conceptually and not be able to really acknowledge it or manage it experientially. And that can be a pretty wide gap. I know that for me it is. Like, for example, you know, watching just kind of binge watching election stuff, which I just did and gave up on eating well. I was just like, we're going to get ice cream. We're getting cookies. We're fucking getting Cool Ranch Doritos. And we're just going to do this, man. We're going to do this thing. And we did. And and it was, it was, uh, it was, I'm glad we did that. I was like, I want to participate in this. And the level of relief that I actually experienced in my somatic body when we finally realized what was the outcome was going to be was actually, I was totally blown away. Like I felt like I, all Doritos and ice cream aside, I really felt like I gained 10 pounds. Like there was a part of my energy that just dropped back into my body, you know, just really, uh, and then just watching, you know, the stuff and, 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 you know, watching Biden just be smart enough to be like, let the black woman vice president talk first. And he fucking did. You know, it was just like, I, I just felt like uh, kind of happy to be an American. I sort of felt, I felt a bunch of stuff that I was kind of embarrassed to feel in a weird sort of way. Uh, and, and, you know, A, we have so much work to do, obviously, but just um, I was, again, surprised by the level of kind of change, you know, so it was like things, you know, they've been building up for months and months and months. And then there's this event, you know, this new information and just the way that that changes everything. And it's so easy to forget that nothing is ever done. And the mind's, again, tenacious tendency to want to assess and evaluate how the world's doing, how I'm doing, how my relationship to the world is doing. And if we look at the Pali, which is, I think, always important for me to do, the word in Nietzsche doesn't really mean impermanence. 
it means, so when you see the prefix on, A-N, in Pali, that always means not. So like not self, we have anatta. Atta means self, on means not. So when you see A-N in Pali, there's almost always the assumption that it means it's not the next thing it's going to say. So anicca, icca means something like absolute. So it, what the Buddha thing is, there's no absolutes. There's no absolution. Nothing can be boiled down. Nothing has an essential element to it. There is no absolution. No conditions are absolute. The only absolute condition is actually impermanence itself. But the mind always wants to pin things down. It, I'm like this. It's like this. We always want to conceptualize things into a concrete idea and be like, it's like this and it's bad or it's good or it's wrong or it's... And so we're always assessing experiences inaccurately because we're assuming that they're fixed. And, you know, clearly things aren't that way. And so why I like to think of things as a process, even our, even our political landscape and our country is a process that's been going on for 100 years. And it's different now than it was 72 hours ago. But how different is it really? Is it really that different? So I think we have to always be questioning our perceptual database or the way that our mind, I don't know about your mind, but my mind's constantly giving me the play-by-play -play assessment of things in every moment. I'm like this, it's like this, my kids are like this. Everything is, I'm trying to get an absolute picture of what's going on all the time. And that's frustrating because A, I never get one. Um, and a lot of times the one that I manufacture is pretty bad. You know, and so we think about change as being sort of Dharma 101, but it's actually pretty advanced to, to participate in that. And, you know, one of the things, as you know, I love Stephen Batcher, and one of the things that he's been kind of pounding on for the last decade is that Dharma work is not a know-that game. It's a know-how game. It's a skills-based endeavor. And this is a great example of how true that is. You all know that things change. Do you know how to move through the change when it's actually happening in a way that's skillful? Some of the time, maybe. Probably some of the times, not so much. So we get new information, new events. We think about the mind as just these events arising and passing. And we have all these kind of assumptions and attitudes about these events. And the, the big assumption is that, oh, it's going to be like this. Oh, this is how it really is. Or this is how I really am. Underneath it all, I'm actually really pretty bad. Underneath it all, I'm actually, we're always trying to reduce things to um, their essential. And like, if you look at that academically, that's what ontology is. The study of ontology is the what is the essential element of things? And the Buddha is certainly an anti-ontologist. But 
if we follow Buddhism down its trail, it totally goes to, to, to ontology. The essential mind is like this, the pure mind, the pure consciousness, all these later schools of Buddhism try to reduce things to their essential. Well, the mind is essentially this or, uh, and it's just not how it, how it is. It's not what's being taught. It's that there's this kind of ongoing unfolding. And of course, you know, the analogy that I use that you guys, some of you have mentioned before is which way is the tree leaning is the big question, you know, and, you know, if things are, you know, we do have influence here. That's the other thing. When we think about like karma, which is such a misunderstood concept, is that things are not random, nor are they determined. So where we factor in is we have influence over everything. The question is, how are we influencing our own minds? In which way am I influencing my mind and my heart and my behaviors and my speech in the direction of, of sort of a goodness or integrity or skillfulness? In which ways am I influencing myself? You know, in the other direction. Am I reinforcing my sort of destructive habits of mind and perception? Or am I cultivating and reinforcing the constructive habits of mind? And of course, we're always doing a little bit of both. You can't just shut off the negativity manufacturing machine. You know, the, the, both of these are kind of, they almost emerge in every single moment and we have the ability in each moment to, in, to influence it in one way or the other. So actually, we're totally polarized. You know, we're totally 40, 49, 51, you know. And so I, I think at best we're 51, you know, in, in the skillful direction, so... But of course, the algorithm over long periods of time is going to end up, we're going to end up coming out okay. So then it, then it becomes down to, well, how much, how much time are you going to spend on this? You know, is this how you're going to just approach your life? Is this, is this the contemplative framework you want to use? Or do you just want to use it like sometimes? Sometimes I want to switch it off. You know, and, you know, I think that's part of it, too, is we can't we can't expect ourselves to be um, always able to to lean in that right direction. So I think we have to have I have to have a tremendous amount of humility that a lot of the stuff that I'm working against is conditioned and pre-programmed. And a lot of it wasn't even conditioned and pre-programmed by me. So I'm constantly waking up to that. So now, now the change, another way I like to think about change is that, um, and this is just biological, is that we are all in an evolution process. You know, we, we, we as a species have been evolving and evolving and evolving. And so how are we evolving? And now I think a lot of in the modern world a lot of that evolution is a psychological evolution or an emotional evolution or really a behavioral evolution you know am i dictated by my primal fight flight brain or am i able to actually make critical thoughtful ethical choices around situations and i think to see that as an evolution is 
really, really good because it makes just makes a lot of sense. So we have these big, huge brains. We have this prefrontal cortex part of our brain, which is the most advanced part of the brain, which is actually pretty new. It's pretty new. And so we, we don't know how to use it very well. A, we don't even have access to it much of the time, let alone learn how to use the damn thing. It's like, yeah, I grew up with Nintendo and Nintendo was like left, right, up, down, A, B. That was the controller. And I could play a bunch of games with that, but like Emmett's got these video games where it's like left, right, up, down. There's like two buttons here. There's like A, B, C. There's like the whole fucking alphabet. And I can't even, I can't even drive the car. So I get frustrated and throw the controller down, which is actually a pretty good analogy for my mind. I'm like, where's the fight flight button? You know, where's the craving aversion? I just want to get or get rid of. I just want that controller. And, um, you know, that's not a great one so much. So, you know, feeling into the positivity and the hopefulness, it's, it's interesting to just see how, like, honestly, I feel like I live in a different mind than I did 72 hours ago. Like, I feel really different. My thoughts are really different. Um, just different. And it's not that, it's just that the conditions change and then I relate to those conditions. So again, there's all this relationship going on, which as you know me, that's sort of my whole perspective on this stuff. Is this whole thing's just a one relationship after another. You know, and we want to have constructive relationships to everything. And so I, I really have been, I was thinking about it all morning and just watching my mind and reflecting on it. And even last night, like my dad has been, been sick. So me, me uh, Shannon made dinner and we drove it over there. So we watched the speech last night at my parents' house and my dad was there. My mom was there. My children now are there. It was just like this epic American a moment event. It was so great. And Emmett was so happy because Emmett does not like Donald Trump at all. Emmett would say stuff like, why is he so mean to everybody? Like, he's eight. He just sees things through the the lens of kindness or unkindness because that's actually the only real, really rule we have around our house is you have to be kind. And he's just like, he doesn't even have that. Like, how did he get in? He's so mean. And that's the only, he just sees him that way, right? So I thought we could do a, a practice around this uh, change um, and just do some basic, you know, what we take for granted, but really Vipassana 101. So awareness of the present time, but actually not even the present moment, but present movement. So just the object of practice is to just be aware of what is changing and where the mind is trying to say, no, that's not, because the mind's always trying to talk me out of it. Yeah, things are changing, but there's a whole bunch about things about you that ain't changing. There's a lot, lots of parts of me that feel stuck. You know, and it's only because they're changing really slowly, you know. So we'll do that, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit, because I want to I wanna have some dialogue today. So you can just begin by finding a way to sit. We'll start and end with the bell.
So again, we can sit and bring awareness into the body, into the rising and falling of the in and out breath. And then to begin to see if we can bring our awareness into the reality of change, of movement. The mind is moving. Things are coming and going. And the most fundamental knowledge of this we have is our breathing. So breathing in, connecting and sustaining with the full length of the in-breath. Breathing out, connecting and sustaining with the full length of the out-breath. And just using that somatic awareness to attune the mind towards change. You're getting good evidence in every single moment that things are changing. and seeing the range of events. So there's the events of the body, the coming and going of breathing, changing of sensations, pleasant, unpleasant, comfort, discomfort, sounds, The mind events are changing. There's thoughts that come and go quickly, slowly. The very common mental event of me or I am. I should have done, I should do, I need to do, better do. All of these impulses around being a person who needs to do or not do something, something to have, something to get rid of. So seeing if you can see that as an ever-changing event of the mind.
And that, in fact, to be with your experience, to be with your direct experience, is to be with change. That becomes the object, is change itself. And recognizing anything about your experience where that can be verified, where you can see and recognize and know change. And then to see if you can reflect on the question, in what way am I influencing the change? Am I a constructive, skillful influence on this? Or an aversive, unskillful? Is there a sense of ease and acceptance for the pace of change? Or is there some impatience and some restlessness wanting it to go faster?
and watching the mind's tendency to want to pin things down. It's like this. I'm like this. The mind's wanting to complete the sentence. Or the mind's tendency want to check out, tuning out by engaging plans or thoughts or memories, what you're going to do later. See if you can stay put. And seeing if you can allow yourself to attend, to pay attention to the moment-to-moment experience and unfolding of change with some interest, some curiosity.
All right. You guys can hear me okay? Okay, good. Thank you for your practice.